Welcome to the weekly worship service from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbon A and Kankakee. In today's service, you will hear readings from God's Word, a message from our pastor, the Lord's Prayer, and a blessing for you and your family. But first, a few announcements about our ministry at St. Paul's. We invite you to join us for our weekly 5 p.m. Saturday worship service at our church located at 348 East Merchant Street in downtown Kankakee. We also hold weekly Sunday morning worship services at 8.30 and 11.05 at our school site, located at 1780 Career Center Road in Bourbon A. If you have any health reasons that might keep you away from in-person worship, please consider one of our alternative worship services, such as our worship page on our website, our weekly WKAN broadcast, and through our Facebook stream. You may also request an audio copy or opt for our podcast. All worship services and church information are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. The latest information on our response to the pandemic is available by clicking the COVID-19 tab at the top of the page. For more information about St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, please call the church office at 815-932-0312. And now we pray that you are blessed by the Word of God in today's worship. this morning comes from the book of Isaiah chapter 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created
created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The epistle lesson comes from Romans chapter 6, starting with the first verse. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have, have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider uh, yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord, please stand. St. Matthew, the third chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, 
the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, o Christ. Please be seated, seated and we buy the children for for the children's message. and peace be to you, O God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth my verdict to the nations. This is our text. The 19th century Lutheran theologians, Hale and Dalish, in their Isaiah commentary, state that humanity has a hero-shaped hole in its heart. Now, this is something very insightful, and that these theologians were, were saying this way before the rise of modern cinema. I mean, think of all of the latest blockbusters these last 40 years that have come out. We have Star Wars with the hero Luke Skywalker, the chosen one who redeems his father, Darth Vader, from evil. You have the Lord of the Rings with the hero, Aragorn, who redeems his family, he is a chosen one, who redeems his family's past mistakes by opposing the Dark Lord, Sauron. You have another chosen one, Harry Potter, the boy who survived, who sacrifices himself to defeat the Dark Lord, Voldemort. Then you have Tony Stark, the chosen one who goes from a weapons dealer to sacrificing his life to save the universe from Thanos, Thanos being the Greek word for death, the man's the embodiment of death. While Kale and Dalish could have never imagined things like Star Wars or the Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or the Marvel Universe, their commentary on Isaiah 42 highlights the universal need of humanity for a hero, for a savior. In our reading from Isaiah, Yahweh identifies Israel to be that hero, the one who would bring God's justice, or another way of putting that would be to bring 
God's verdict to the nations. This verdict, this judgment, is properly understood going all the way back a few verses before our, our reading uh, on God's judgment of idolatry in the previous chapter. When uh, Yahweh says here, he says, Behold, idols are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. It's the same imagery that Solomon uses in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, vapor of vapor. This is what idolatry is. It's meaninglessness. It's vanity. It's empty wind. And then all that means is that idols have are nothing. They have no power to save. Only Yahweh is the one true God, and only Yahweh has the power to save. Israel's mission in the Old Testament was clear. God declares to Israel here in Isaiah, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Israel's purpose and mission was to call the nations out of the darkness and blindness of their own sin and to bring them into the marvelous light of Yahweh. Through them, God was working to bring salvation to all, both Israelite and Gentile. Israel's purpose was to be a missionary people. They were God's sent ones. They alone had the Torah, is the law of Moses. They alone had received the direct revelation from Yahweh on Mount Sinai. They knew that God was holy and just. Israel also knew the dangers of idolatry, that idolatry brought death. And while Yahweh had freed Israel from Egypt and from the bonds of, of idolatry, uh, the rest of the nations did not know of Yahweh. Yahweh who created the whole world, who gives breath to everyone who walks on the earth, who gives life to everyone in the world. Yahweh wants his creation back. And Yahweh had consecrated Israel to be his chosen people to bring his light to the nations. The purpose of the Torah was that Israel would be a distinctive people. You would have a distinctive dress, a distinctive diet, a distinctive everything to separate themselves uh, from the nations so that the nations would pay attention to what's happening in Israel and to be drawn to them. And there are many examples in the Old Testament of Israel's ministry to the Gentiles. You know, whether it be Naaman the Syrian or Ruth the Moabite or Rahab the Canaanite, Yahweh did not turn away the nations when they came to him. Israel's purpose was to intercede on behalf of the nations and to bring God's message, his verdict, on idolatry to them. That their gods did not exist and that Yahweh is the one true God. And in verse 10 in Isaiah chapter 42, Yahweh tells Israel that she will go down to the sea. Oh, to all that fills it, to the coastlands and its inhabitants with this message. But did Israel 
fulfill her mission? Was Israel the chosen one that would bring God's message of grace to the nations? Well, we find out in the history of Israel, no, they did not. And we have to fast forward all the way to the first century. Jesus condemns the scribes and Pharisees for their failure to bring God's gracious reign and rule to the Gentiles. But he tells them in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves or allow uh, those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Ouch. Israel had failed in her mission to bring God's verdict on idolatry to the nations. And not only had they failed, but Jesus condemns the Pharisees for shutting the Gentiles out of God's message and the promises that God had made to the Gentile nations. They hid the light of Yahweh under their rules and regulations and traditions. In Matthew 15, Jesus, Jesus identifies the Pharisees as blind guides. They are blind just as the Gentiles were blind to the coming of God's kingdom. But here's the thing. Of all the people in the world, they should have known who Jesus was. They had the Torah, they had the writings of the prophets, they held to the resurrection of the dead. Yet, ironically, the people who were the most familiar with the scriptures were the ones that were blind. And their blindness was due to their spiritual blindness, due to their idolatry. They had suffered from spiritual blindness and idolatry just as the Gentiles did. They had rejected God's gracious reign and rule, and instead relied on their obedience to the Torah, their holiness, their commandments and traditions. Commandments and traditions that often nullified and perverted God's intentions for them to be the missionary people he wanted them to be. But instead of enjoying God's gracious reign and rule, they were in darkness. I mean, have you ever thought about this? This darkness, this spiritual darkness, is evident by the, by the spiritual condition of Israel in the time of our Lord and his ministry. Think about the amount of demonic possession in the land of Israel. This was, this was uh, you know, that God's people were under severe oppression, under, under, under demonic rule and Satan. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other Jewish groups were unable to handle the severe spiritual affliction of God's people. They needed a hero. They needed a savior. Christ arrives on the scene today as the chosen one. He is the servant in whom Yahweh delights. He comes into the waters of the Jordan to be baptized. And he comes to invade the Holy Land as his namesake Joshua did before him. And he comes this time not in military conflicts, but to bring healing, light, and life to those afflicted by darkness. He came to confront, drive out, and destroy idolatry. And through his baptism, Jesus fulfills all righteousness. He came to take our sin and our darkness so that we may have his light and light. 
And his mission is confirmed by his heavenly father when the father proclaims to him his baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus comes to bring the light and life that Old Testament Israel could not. Jesus is the true son of Israel, obedient to the father's will. And his obedience would take him to the cross where he would die for the sins of the whole world. Whole now, you know, what idols do we face? Are we worshiping things of copper and tin? Are those the idols that attack us today? You know, idols are no longer those things. You know, there may be some still out there, but in the modern world, uh, we don't have those kind of idols as in the time of Isaiah and as in the time of our Lord. In Luther's large catechism, Luther gives the best definition of idolatry when he writes this and his uh, comments on the first commandment. Luther defines a god as such. A god means that from which you are, are to expect all good and to which we are to take refuge in all distress. So that to have a god is nothing else than to trust and believe him from the whole heart. As I have often said, that the confidence of faith of the heart alone makes both God and an idol. In other words, whether it be God or an idol, the definition of an idol would be you would put your whatever you put your meaning, purpose, security, and identity in. And you can see in everything in our lives, we can find meaning, purpose, security, and identity. And so everything in our lives can become an idol. An idol is whatever takes the place of God's good gifts and as our and gives us our ultimate meaning, purpose, security, and identity. I mean, take for instance family. Family is indeed a good gift from God. But what happens when you place family above faithfulness to God? Or what about our jobs or our hobbies, our particular tribes or political affiliation? When our ultimate loyalty is in anything but God, that becomes an idol. And we are all guilty of idolatry. We're all guilty of putting the penultimate before the ultimate. That is the things of this world before our Lord. And we too need a hero to save us from sin and to proclaim God's verdict of, on, on idolatry. In his baptism, Jesus tells us today that he has fulfilled all righteousness for you. He has taken away the sins of the world for you. He was baptized for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He ascended and reigns for you. He does this because he loves you. He came to take the idols out of your life so that you may enjoy his eternal life. And with his love, without any hindrances. Now, our God is indeed a jealous God. And this jealousy is a good jealousy. He is jealous for our affections because he should be the only object of our worship, right? It's that his jealousy is like that of a wife who sees her husband look after another woman. This is a good jealousy because the husband's affections should be for his wife and wife alone. And in all fairness, the story could also be in the reverse as well. Point being is that only our Lord should receive prayer, praise, and thanks, worship. That's given to God alone. And only God do we, should we put our meaning, purpose, security, and identity in. Those things we should place in Christ alone. 
And where do we get this meaning, purpose, and identity? Well, that was given to you in baptism, where Christ made you his own, where he washed you from all of your sins, made you a saint, gave you eternal life. He clothed you in righteousness. He opened the door of salvation for you. He brought you into his kingdom. In baptism, Christ defeated your death so that you may have victory over sin, death, and the devil. You're made members of his body in baptism. You're made holy in baptism. You're given in baptism the purpose to share this message with others, to bring the light and life of Christ to this world full of darkness and death. And remember that nothing in this world can strip you away from that promise. In baptism, Christ has given your life meaning by giving you the gift of eternal life. In baptism, Christ has given you purpose that you would be the light of the world and that you would share the good news with others. In baptism, Christ has given you eternal security by defeating death once and for all. In baptism, Christ gives you a new identity. You are a child of God. In baptism, Christ has, has come to be our hero. He has come to save us from our enemies, sin, death, and the devil. And whatever this new year brings, Jesus will save us from it. We cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus saves. He is our hero. He brings his light and life to us through the forgiveness of all of our sins. And we look to him, cast all of your cares and concerns and burdens onto his mighty shoulders. He can bear it. He took it all for you on the cross so that you would be his very own beloved child. He is mighty to save. He alone saves. Behold Jesus, our hero. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding keep our hearts and minds in the one true faith of the life everlasting. Amen. Dear friends, let us confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed we confess together. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, go with God's blessing this day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this time of worship. From all of us at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, we thank you for listening. More worship opportunities are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. Just click worship at the top of the page. May God bless you and your family each and every day. And again, thank you for listening.